And the title for today is Don't Get Swallowed by the Snake. Don't Get Swallowed by the Snake. Or the second title is <clears throat> The Purpose and Importance of Apologetics. The Purpose and Importance of Apologetics, Acts 18, 18 through 28. Some of you are thinking, what's apologetics? You're going to find out. You're going to find out. But first of all, i got a snake story. Uh, and uh, one of my favorites, I've used it a couple of times. Uh, not my favorite as far as what happened, but vivid, vivid, you will never forget it, favorite is what I mean by that. Uh, unless you're Laurel, who loves any kind of snake story, right? So uh, it, it happened a couple years ago, and it was in Columbia. There was a boy fishing on the lake with his father. And they were fishing, and they weren't supposed to be on the lake. They were poaching fish. But, but all of a sudden, the, the, the boy screamed, something's got my leg. And the dad reached over to grab his other leg, and all he had left was a shoe. And it was an anaconda had reached up into the boat, taken the boy down into the water, and, and killed him. Couldn't do anything for him. They later found his body. The snake, for some reason, didn't swallow him. They found his body bobbing, but he said his, his chest was crushed, where the anaconda had crushed him under the water. Unbelievable, right? But I tell you that story because I'm seeing that same thing happen to so many people today. Happening to the kids, happening to teenagers, happening to adults, happening to Christians. We are being taken out by our culture, by the snake, the, our culture, the antichrist culture. It's taking so many people out and crushing them and wiping them out. And we're going to see the key here in Acts. We're going to see the key to not only survive, but to thrive in this anti-Christian culture that we are now in, this post-Christian America. We see that the key here in Acts 18. Father, thank you for the worship today. We thank you for every person who's here. We know we're here for a purpose, whether we're watching, watching or whether we're sitting in a chair right here. Every one of us, you have a divine appointment for us. And, and if anybody has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, you would convict them and convince them and pull them into that relationship. That's our prayer and hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's read the passage here. We know Paul is uh, Corinth, all right, but he makes a move today in Acts 18, verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. I'm going to use this one in case their versions are different. Uh, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sencria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed in, at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. 
When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he is a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, so we see here, first of all, let's start with verse 18 here. We see, first of all, that in verse 18, Paul stayed on at Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancria because of a vow he had taken. So we see Paul was the first skinhead. Yes, Paul's the first one. This was not because of St. Baldrick's Day. A lot, a lot, some of us uh, had our hair cut, not me. But some of you had their heads shaved before St. Saint, Saint, uh, Baldrick's. Um, that wasn't that, that's not what he was doing either. It's probably a vow from uh, number six. In number six, it talks about the Nazarites. The Nazarite vows, and when someone would take the vow, a Nazarite vow for some spiritual purpose of some kind, when they completed their vow, they would shave their head to show that the vow was completed. That's from Numbers chapter 6, okay? So that's probably, we don't know what the vow was, but some kind of vow you take in number 6, Nazarite vow, it's completed, he shaves his head, okay? <clears throat> First skinhead. Verse 19, then we see in verse 19, they arrived... They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And we see that we land now in Ephesus. We're going to spend a lot of time the next few weeks in Ephesus and in Acts 19. We're going to focus on that. But Ephesus was the capital of the province of Asia, one of the Roman provinces, the province of Asia. It was the leading commercial center of Asia Minor. This was like the New York City of the world at that time. It was this amazing commercial center. It was also the center of the worship of... What's that? I think I heard it. Artemis? Sorry, I can't quite hear it. But yeah, Artemis was also known as... Diana, thank you. Got them both. Very good. Very, very good. Star on the foreheads there. Very good. All right. So, uh, in that great temple to Diana, Artemis was there. And we're going to see that as we get into Acts 19. And if you went through the Revelation chapter, my Revelation series, Revelation 2, 1 to 7, went into great detail on that. So, we'll save that for next time. But this is a, a crazy place. <clears throat> and it's, we also see here that Priscilla and Aquila emerge here. Paul leaves them in in Ephesus until his return, but they were a key husband-wife ministry team in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. And women, just want to point this out, women are vital in ministry too. The Bible teaches that women can't be pastors or teachers over men. They can't be elders in a church, but they can do lots of ministry. Many, many ministry. And, and at New Hope, we, we, that we, we keep our women very, very busy in ministry, just like uh, Priscilla was kept busy. Just ask Kim. <laughs> She's always saying, can't you give it to someone else? I don't want to do this. Right. So uh, we keep our, our ladies very, very busy in ministry. Uh, but we see Priscilla and Aquila uh, emerging here, and we're going to see more of them as we go. Priscilla and Aquila have an important job here. They disciple Apollos who becomes a key leader in the New Testament church and in the book of Acts. They, they lead him to Christ and they disciple him. In verse 24, look what it said. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. Where's Alexandria? 
Egypt, right? Egypt was a key uh, city in Egypt. Uh, he came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He began. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So we see that Apollos knew about Jesus through John John the Baptist, okay? And John the Baptist's ministry, his whole focus on Jesus was to repent and prepare the way for the Messiah. That's what Apollos knew about, that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was, was, has arrived, he was baptized, that's what he knew. But Paul, Priscilla and Aquila updated him. While you were in Egypt, Apollos, a lot more has happened. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. And now we must put our faith in him for salvation. And then he ascended into heaven. They give him the whole story. Now we have to put our faith in him for salvation. So they lead Apollos to faith. And then they discipled him. They discipled him. They mentored him. And then they turned him loose. They turned him loose. That's what their very important job was, which leads us to Apollos and apologetics, which is the, really the focus of today. Verse 27 and 28. This is what happens here. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jew, his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So we see, um, we see the, 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 the key to understand this. The Apostle Paul was really, what was his spiritual gift? He was an evangelist, right? He's an apostle, right? So was about, but he was an evangelist, okay? That was his job. He, he led people to Christ, that, and led them to faith. He shared the gospel, led them to faith. But Apollos was not an evangelist. Apollos was an apologist, an apologist. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Paul talks about this very thing. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Paul's job was to plant the seed and lead people to Christ. And Apollos was to water the plant and help it to grow. The plant that sprouted, he, he helped it to grow. But, but, but uh, he watered it, but God obviously does the growing. Okay, he makes that point. But you see the difference. Paul shared the gospel, leads people to faith, and, and then an apologist like Apollos comes along and strengthens their faith. Okay? And back to verses 27 and 28. He... Uh, Apollos here, in verses 27 to 28, which we just read just a moment ago, he is practicing apologetics. He is practicing apologetics here. That's what he's doing. Uh, uh, I'm just going to read it all again. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. He is practicing apologetics here. That doesn't mean he's apologizing. Apologetics doesn't mean you're apologizing. It comes from the Greek word apologia, which means reasoned defense. Reasoned defense. That's where we get this word from. It actually comes right from the Bible. We'll see that a little bit later. Okay? It means apologetics is defending the faith defending the Christian faith and proving 
how Christianity is true. Using the word of God, using uh, historical proofs, and also using uh, general revelation, nature, and, and all that we see, proving that God is real, that Christianity is real. So that it, apologetics means defending the Christian faith and proving that the Christianity is true. Apologetics is vital, very, very important, but it's important to notice something. It's a vital fact to remember, apologetics cannot save anyone. Did you realize that? Apologetics don't save people. Look what it says in verse 27. Who they were, when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Not because of his apologetics, apologetics, but by grace they had already believed. We are saved by grace. We cannot argue somebody into salvation. Do you understand that? Don't try. You'll just cause more trouble. You'll cause trouble for the evangelist. All right? You can't argue them. Just share the gospel. Just share John 3.16. Just share what Jesus has done and how we have to put our faith in him. Just share that. That's all we have to do. The Holy Spirit will do the convincing and the convicting. That's his job. Our job is just to share it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We just share that and we explain it to people. But the Holy Spirit does the convicting and the convincing. Yes, we do use biblical arguments. You know, I'm talking to someone who's seeking God. I'll use biblical arguments and, and I'll use uh, uh, the different scriptures and, and proofs. That's all. It's positive to do that. But don't get arguing. Just present it. That just gets people people thinking. That just gets people praying. For sure, share that type of thing. Chuck Harrison just got back from the, the beach. You were in Ocean City? Ocean City. You guys did that all the time, right? You're throwing out these hooks. You're just trying to get people thinking and praying. But at the end of the day, what has to happen? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's got to do it. In the end, the Holy Spirit must draw people and save them. But after they're saved, after they're saved, what's the next step? Apologetics encourages who? The believers. Once again, for uh, who, verse 28, for he vigorously refuted his, his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the great, uh, verse 27, I wanted to read the beginning part of that too. Uh, he was a great uh, he was a great help to the disciples um, when he read. He was a great help to those I got a different version memorized but sorry about that. He was a great help to those who by grace had believed. He was a great help to those people using his apologetics. Those who were already put their faith in Christ he was a great encouragement to them. Okay? He encouraged the believers faith. That's what he did. After we're saved, apologetics, apollos and apologetics encourages the believers. Apologetics encourages us. It builds up our faith. It builds up our faith. And that's what he did. He proved from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Did that save his Jewish opponents? No, it didn't save them, right? But, but it encouraged the believers because those Jewish opponents could only be saved by grace. 
by the Holy Spirit drawing them and saving them. And, 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 and when some of your versions says the Jews, the, the, when it uses that term Jews, it uses, talking about Jews that are opposed to Christianity. It's not talking about all Jews. Apollos was a Jew, right? Uh, Paul was a Jew. Jesus, it's going to shock you, was a Jew. You know? right, so we, there's no room for any anti-Semitism. It's simply using that term for those who are opposed to the gospel, not for all Jewish people, but, but the Jewish opponents. Okay? So anyway, uh, the, it, 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 it's very... Um, it encourages the believers. Okay? So here we are. We're saved by grace and by putting our faith in grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not, not from yourselves. It is a gift, the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. We are saved by putting our faith, our trust, our hope in God's grace. And grace means Gift, unmerited favor, gift. It's a gift. The gift that we get is Jesus died on the cross in our place, took our sin, came back from the dead to give us a brand new life, and we need to receive that gift by faith. We need to accept it. We need to put our faith and our hope, our trust in that gift, okay? We put our faith in God's grace, His gift. And then as we learn God's Word, after we're already a Christian, we put our faith in God and Jesus Christ. Once we're already a Christian, we then learn the Word. And as we learn the Word, it strengthens our faith. We begin to grow daily. And we begin to practice our faith, practical faith. We begin to practice our faith in a whole new way. And it's in this phase that apologizes and apologists like Apollos are very, very important. That's when they come into play and help us grow in our faith. Uh, who, who are some apologists today practicing apologetics that have helped many Christians? R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul, great example, yeah. Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell, probably the, the main one now. Uh, for many, well, R.C. Sproul, great. Uh, Josh McDowell, just because he wrote Two key books, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. How many of you have read Evidence That Demands a Verdict? Woo, get, uh, come on, buy that book. We got it on the library back there. We got it on the shelf, I'm pretty sure. But there's now a new version, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. That's the newer, updated version. Boy, if you take the next chair and read that, highlight, underline, study that book. That book is just a, an amazing apologetic book that will strengthen your faith. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, whether you're 17 or 90, uh, almost 90, uh, happy birthday in a couple of weeks to somebody. Don't miss it. Uh, so, uh, so that, that, that is just a tremendous tool. Now, it's deep. You're going to probably handle a page a day or something, but start working through more evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. You will be equipped. You will grow in your faith. Very, very good. So lots of great uh, apologetics out there. Uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, Josh McDowell, very, very good. It's vital, though, that we grow in God's Word and know how to defend it. Very, very important. That's what 1 Peter 3.15 is talking about, where it says, but in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. 
<clears throat> Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And that, that right there when it says be prepared to give an answer, be prepared to give an answer, there's, that Greek word is guess what? Apologia. That's apologia. That's the Greek word, apologia. That's, that's what we have to be prepared to do is, is to defend our faith, be able to present that and, and, and show how it's true from God's word and, and, and other ways, okay? Now, you may not realize it, but that's exactly what I've been trying to prepare you to do. You may not know it, but I've spent a lot of time the last few years preparing you for this very thing. Uh, but you may not realize it. It's kind of like the Karate Kid. Remember the first Karate Kid? I love the first Karate Kid. And remember, remember, you know, wax on, wax off. You know, wax on, wax off. And he's so frustrated and funny. It's like, what am I doing this for? Why are you making me do this? You know, uh, Daniel-san, hi-ya, hi-ya, hoo hoo, wax off. You know, he could fight because he, lear- he was learning how to fight. He was learning how to defend himself. To defend himself from the bullies. And I'm like really Pastor Miyagi. All right, that's my job. Uh, I have been teaching you this, and you may not realize it. Not realize it. 2 Timothy 4, 2 to 5 says this to pastors. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Some people get upset with me for that. Correct. Rebuke and encourage. Two out of the three are kind of negative in our mind, right? Pastors shouldn't do that, right? But that's that's two thirds of my job. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. All right, encourage. For the time, this is why. For the time will come when men will not put up with people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. That, that is what I've been trying to do with, with this church. For, for 22 years, but especially the last three, four, five years, that, that time that he's describing, the falling away, that time is now. In the USA today, that time is today. It, it, that's why I'm so focused on preparing you. Just look at this week, what's been going on. Christ, this is pregnancy centers. Christians getting attacked and vandalized and firebombed. Uh, churches being burned down. Churches, I'm sure you've read all, you know, seen that all over the media. Churches burned down and vandalized. Even, even Harvest USA. Uh, John Freeman just shared with us this week that Harvest USA was attacked and vandalized and, and, and all kinds of horrible things said to them. Uh, it, it, that's what's happening in our country. It's happening. The spark, I've been saying, just watch. The spark is going to be set, and we're seeing it. We're going to talk about that even more next week when we talk about spiritual warfare. Look at, look at the Christian, Christians that you know losing it, sliding away. Churches that you know going woke. And when I use the word woke, that doesn't mean they're awake. That means they're going to sleep spiritually. They're, they're letting the culture squeeze and they're going along with the world. Whatever the world says, they go along with it. They're going woke. Even though it goes against God's word, they're going with the flow. 
and, and churches that I never dreamed possible. Pastors that, that are by my, my friends for years, I never thought possible. Christians that I thought were for real, never thought possible, are going awoke. They're being, going along with the culture. They're going against God's word. They're being exposed as fakes. They're being exposed as apostates. The very best I can say is they've been taken captive by Satan to do as well. Like Paul warned about. That's the very best I can say. But most of them, God is separating the wheat from the weeds. We're seeing this happen. And that's why I've been so intense with our church, preparing us. That's why I'm preparing you. I see what's coming. I see what's already here. If you haven't listened to my Daniel Revelation series, uh, uh, there's a lot of correcting and rebuking in there. And a little encouraging. Uh, that's there. Uh, you know, li- listen, uh, and you know what? That's my job. That's my job. What, what he just said in 2 Timothy 4, 2 to 5. And I'm doing a pretty good job. Did you know that? You know how I know that? Because I'm already in the top 50%. Automatically. George Barna just did this survey. Evangelical pastors. Only 50% of them have a biblical worldview. 50%. What is the other 50%? They're not evangelicals. They're frauds. I'm already in the top 50%. That's why I know I'm doing pretty well. I am the top half, all right? Uh, and I do believe most of you are ready. I've been seeing it. Most of you, you know, our home fellowship has been going through Daniel Revelation. It's been great. Uh, so many of you have been prepared. I, 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 I hear so many of you discerning and connecting the dots. You're not drinking the Kool-Aid, or the world's Kool-Aid. I really believe that the, most people here will not take 666 on their forehead just to, just to get, you know, you know, go to the doctor or buy their next meal. I think, I think you, most, I, I would, I'm betting 100% of you will not do that. That's been my job, preparing you. But you have a job too. And I, did this last week. Same verse. I'm going to drive it home again. Second Timothy 2.15. That's your job. Sing the song with me. Come on. Study to show thyself approved unto God. We did this last week, right? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God. All right. So that was that old camp song I was talking about. That's your job. Your job is to study. Your job is to really get into the Word in, in, in the Bible on your own. Your job is to read Josh McDowell's Evidence that Demands a Verdict. Your job is to get into a good Bible study and to really grow. Your, your job to be discipled one-to-one. Find, you know, I'll, I'll connect you. I'm trying to get everybody to do the discipleship. To go online and find a good, Bible, uh, a good solid Bible teacher and, and do the studies online and, and listen to them. Podcasts, that's your job. And, and it's vital vital that we do this. Once again, George Barna, only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. 6%. Now, 50% claim to be born-again Christians. What does that mean about the other about 44% are? Fake. If not, they're not real. Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Chuck thinks it's even less. <laughs> he says 4%. He, he's going to challenge George Barna. On the street, you're seeing it, right? Yeah, college is everywhere. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's why this country is under judgment. Because the church is a mess. We are being swallowed by the snake. Another snake story. Uh, even further back, uh, 
a grandpa was out fishing in Brazil with his son, and I've told this a couple of times. He's out fishing with his son, uh, grandson, and he's fishing, and he went into his little fishing. They're out in the jungle fishing. He went into the hut to get his, his fishing line, some more tackle and stuff, and he heard a scream. He came running out, and he sees his grandson is being wrapped up by a giant anaconda. It's got a hold of him. It's huge, at least 20 feet long. He said it was even longer, but let's just say it's 20. It was huge. And, and he, he ran, ran in to get a, his old gun, rusty old gun. He said he came running out to try to save my grandson, but it was too late. The boy was already crushed to death, and he was already swallowing my grandson. He said, and on our page, he said, there, there was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do. Listen, that's what is happening. We see it with our Christian friends. We see it with our kids. We see it with our teenagers in college. We see it with ourselves. We see it with, with churches. It's being, we are being swallowed by the snake. But there is something we can do. First of all, we can stay away from snakes. We can stay away from we Keep our kids away from the snakes. And then we can teach them to fight snakes. That's what I've been doing, trying to get you to stay away from the snakes and teach you to fight snakes. One of the ways is we've got to get them out of the public schools. Now, there are some good public schools out there, Florida, North Dakota, yeah, but, but the, most of them have crossed the line. They have completely crossed the line. You know what I've shared about our own school here in our town? It's unbelievable. We, we need to get them out. Uh, we need to get them into homeschooling. We need to get them into Christian schooling. Uh, both are exploding. You can do online Christian school. They're exploding what is happening. Uh, one in ten families in America now homeschool at least one child. 10%. It's exploding. The Christian schools are bursting at the seams. We know what's happening at the Christian schools you guys are going to. Bursting at the steam, schemes. seams. <laughs> I say that 10 times fast. Uh, now, I know some of you are school teachers. Some people in our church are school teachers. God bless you. I know that you see it as a mission field, and that's awesome. Keep fighting. Keep fighting the battle as long as you can. I always encourage you to do that. And I know some kids are called to be in the public schools. They're Daniels. They're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. They're strong in their faith, and they believe they're called to be there to be a witness. God bless you. I encourage you too on that. But for most kids, most teens need to be in a Christian school, and when they go to college, they need to find a good Christian college. Talk to me. Most Christian colleges are not Christian colleges anymore. They've gone woke, which means they're not awake, right? Uh, they're, they're being ugh, swallowed. And, and I see Christian kids going to these schools and being brainwashed. And, and I've lost some friends over it, but I tell the truth. These schools are fake and they're fraud. I've had people leave the church over it, but I told them. And sure enough, I told, I told one family, listen, you better warn your daughter she's going to this so-called Christian school over here near Philadelphia. I'm not going to name it. And, uh, and, and, and I said, it's not what it was like when you went. And you better warn your daughter because it's, a, it's, a, it's not a good school. They've gone, gone, you know? And, and, and they got so mad, they left the church. Left it. And then uh, one of my kids was playing baseball against that school right after that. And out front, they had this big rock, and painted on it with some LGP, you know, L, you know, gay motto on it. On the rock in front of the school. I knew what I was saying. I was trying to warn them about the snake. And who knows what happened to their daughter. 
But that is what is happening in the Christian schools. And that's just one topic. Forget. I mean, a lot of these are teaching evolution. They're teaching, you know, you know, abortion rights. They're teaching you know, transgender. They're teaching every demonic lie out there. You, we have to be very careful where we put our kids. Most kids, not every kid, there are Daniel Shedder, but most need to be in a Christian school or a Christian college, uh, homeschool, Christian online. Uh, the schools and colleges are no longer doing education. They are doing indoctrination. That's what they're doing. They have crossed the line. And I know there's still some good ones out there. Uh, even public schools, there's still some that are fighting the battles, but most have crossed the line. And we need to not just to keep our kids away from the snakes, we need to teach them to fight the snakes. We have to teach them how to do that, how to, uh, how to take God's word and, and to fight with God's word. We need to uh, make sure they're in a youth group. We have to encourage them to make sure they're in church. They need that constant encouragement. And I have parents come to me all the time and say, well, my kid just doesn't want to go to church anymore, doesn't want to go to, doesn't want to, go to youth group anymore. Uh, they just don't feel like it. So, well, I understand. Then you shouldn't make them go. Because, I mean, if they don't want to go to school, you, what do you say? You don't feel like going to school? Tell you, don't go. It's okay. Or if they, they don't want to go to the orthodontist, you know, they got the braces and they need to be tightened up and it's painful. You know, it's going to be painful. I'm not going to be able to chew for a few days. Don't send them. You know, don't, you, you wouldn't make them go, right? Right? They want to go to practice. They got to practice and it's hot out, you know, 90 degrees. I don't want to go to soccer. Don't go. That's what you tell them, right? Sure. But when it comes to church or youth group, don't go. It's crazy. What's most important, right? You got an amen from Chuck Harrison, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, really, you know? So, you know, we, we, we my kids, I'm, I, I'm constantly having to offset the world. Because they're getting the world constantly. I'm constantly offsetting the world. Maybe I do too much sometimes. I, my one daughter, Megan, uh, not too long ago, said, Dad, I'm you know, 27 now. I get it. I'm there. You, know, you don't have to tell me anything anymore. You've done your job. She said, you've done your job with the older ones. Stop telling us. You've done your job. We've got the biblical worldview. We got this now. Focus on the little kids, right? So, so, and I am. Little Laurel. Laurel, she, we're, not, we're sending her to a Christian school for kindergarten. And she was saying to me the other day, we're on a walk and we're talking. Talking, she says, Dad, why can't I go with my friends? I want to go with my friends. I go, because if you go to here, you know where we are. If you go here, uh, they're going to tell you a lot of things that are really bad. She goes, but what? Tell me what? Now, she's like five going on 15, right? She goes, tell me everything. I want to hear everything. You know, I'm not telling you everything. I, I go, when you get older, I'll tell you more. But I can tell you a few things. Tell me, Dad. I said, well, first of all, they teach at this school that they teach evolution, that we came from monkeys. She's like, what? And, and she, goes, she, she goes, no, they don't. I go, no, no, they really do. They will teach you from the time you're kindergarten all the way through that you came from a monkey. That's where you came from. No, nobody would say that. I go, no, this is a five-year-old figuring it out, right? And I go, no, they really do. She goes, well, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to tell them they're wrong. You know, I go, okay, all right. So uh, I, I, she goes, what else? What else? And I said, well, they also teach you uh, in the school, they teach you that, that you can kill your baby. Before it's born. She goes, no! Nobody would kill their baby. I said, no, no, they really do. They teach you to kill babies. 
She was like, no, no, no mother would do that. Well, I said, and, and she was like, they're not going to get my baby. Who's doing this? I go, well, it's, you know, it's the president. And she goes, and she, she's so funny. She goes, if Joe Biden's not getting my baby, she says, yeah. <laughs> Five years old. And I said, but you see, he's not going to come and take your baby. What they do at the school is they tell you that they're not really babies. And if you have this not really a baby in you, you've got to get rid of it. So they teach you to take a pill. You just got to take a pill and it just goes away. That's how they trick. That's how they deceive. So many of you have gone through abortions. You know what I'm talking about. So such a painful thing. And, uh, you know, we help so many, everybody to find their healing and, 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 God's grace and forgiveness, it doesn't matter if you've even been involved with an abortion, mom or dad, God's forgiveness and grace is there. We've helped many get healing. But, but they, they, brain, they brainwash the kids, these girls in the school. My daughter, five-year-old daughter couldn't believe it. I said, they, they, they take this pill and it will just go away. And that's how they brain. They don't kill. They don't kill the baby. They trick the girls. They brainwash them into killing their own babies. She said, "I can't even believe it." What else did? Tell me what else. Did. Right, one more thing. I'm going to tell you one more thing. I did. They teach you that that God. You can pray to our God. You can pray to any God. They they teach this. They're not supposed to teach religion, but boy, do they. Allah and Jehovah are the same God. They teach that. And Jesus is just one of the sons of God. They teach this in the classes here. You know, not here in. New Hope Celebrate. They teach it there. And, and I, I go, she goes, well, well that's probably because they, they can't see God. I, I'll show them in the Bible. You know, she says, I'll show them in the Bible. I go, right, that's good. But, but, they, but they just, they, will, they won't believe it. They, 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 they fight against anything like that. And they go, well, I'm going to show them in the Bible. She says, this is a five-year-old. A five-year-old. Teach your kids how to kill the snakes. And start them young. Start them young. They can do it. The most, and the most important protection against snakes, against Satan, we must be in God's word, and we have to stay close to Jesus Christ. Stay close to Jesus Christ. We've got to be in the word and close to him. And that's what communion is all about. Communion means to stay connected. It means to stay connected. It's all about staying connected to Jesus Christ. When we take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, we take the blood, which represents, I mean, the, the, the grape juice, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ, we're remembering that Jesus died for us and that he, that he gave his body and blood for us and that we need to stay close to him. We need to feed on Jesus. We have to stay close to him. We need to stay in, in, in uh, communion with him. And that salvation, remembering our salvation, and also our sanctification. That's why this is a time to cleanse. Remember, don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. We have to cleanse anything in our life that's, that's slipped in, that cracked in, in our relationship. We have to confess it to Jesus and, and make it right. It's that constant, remember that, it's a daily thing, daily thing. That we have to constantly confess and reconnect with God. And, and what we do with communion here is how we take it. Todd's going to lead in some worship and instruct us. But, but we will take the, the bread and the cup at, at a certain time uh, as he gives it, representing the body and the blood of Jesus. The only reason why you shouldn't take it is if there's something in your life you won't confess. Doesn't mean that can't be sitting in your life. None of us could save ourselves a lot of money. No communion, right? But but it has to be something we're willing to confess and say, God, help me. I need your mercy and grace. Help me to fight this bath. Help me to fight this snake. And the second reason why we shouldn't take it yet is we haven't put our faith in Jesus. But I hope you do that today. 
You can do that today as we go into this time of prayer. You can do that. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can put your faith in Jesus today. And I'm going to encourage you, that is your only protection. That is your only spiritual protection, is putting your faith in Jesus. The, the snake is, Satan is constantly wanting to bite us. The, our faith in Jesus is what gives us the, the anti-venom. That's the only way we're going to survive the bite. That's the only anti-venom available that God has given us is the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in him? Let's pray. As we get ready for this time of communion, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we saved? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you protected from the venom? Satan's venom, the world's venom, sin's venom. Are you protected? There is one protection by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And you can do that anytime. You can do that right now. Wherever you are, whether you're sitting here or you're driving your car listening to this, wherever you are, you can pray the prayer of faith, confirming what the Holy Spirit is already doing in your heart. God, I repent. I don't want the sin. I don't want the garbage. I don't want anything in my life that goes against your word. I ask you to forgive me. I'm asking you for a brand new life in Jesus Christ. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm putting my faith in the gift that you are giving. The gift of life a brand new life now and forever. I receive that gift by faith. I give my life to Jesus Christ. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can now receive communion. You can now commune with God as your Father anytime, anywhere, for anything. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you put your faith in Jesus. Let someone know. Mom or dad or a family member or friend or someone at work who's a Christian, let somebody, tell me on the way out, fill out the card, tell somebody, so that we'd be excited for you and help you grow in your new faith. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us, convicting us, convincing us? How is He calling us to grow in our faith? How is he calling us to wake up and not go woke, but to wake up spiritually? 
how do we need to fight fight that snake off Father I pray that as we come to this time of communion your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way we pray this in Jesus name